Welcome everyone uh, to our service this morning, where we have a time of worship and also listen to God's word. I'm really glad that you're here. If you're here for the first time, again, I'd like to welcome you uh, to our service. Please, as I said last week, make yourself known. Uh, come and introduce yourself. I'd love to speak to you. I'd love to uh, introduce our church a bit to you and myself. So please, if you can, don't run off. Uh, just come and say hi uh, after church. If you've got some time, uh, I'd love to have a, a quick chat with you as well and uh, just, just know you. Uh, so thanks. Uh, thank you for coming. This morning, I want to share with you, we know God's provisions are incredible. It's all over the scriptures, the way God provides for his people. If you just have to open up the Bible to, you know, you look up most parts of the Bible, you'll look in there, you look at the stories of what God has written in his word, and they're all a revelation of God. They're all a revelation. Even the tough stories in life and the, and the really encouraging stories in life, what God is doing, why God's placing them in this thing that we call the Bible is because he's wanting to reveal himself to you. He's wanting to reveal his character to you and his character to me. So when we look at the, the Bible, we're not reading a book with just words on it. What we're actually reading is the character and the heart of God. He's revealing himself to us. He wants to make himself known to you. This has been God's heart all throughout the beginning of time, right from the time when he put Adam and Eve in the garden, all the way through to the end of time. What God continually wants to do, believe it or not, what he wanted, continually wants to do is to make himself known to you so that you would know him. And so throughout all history, he's been trying to do this. He's been trying to get people's attention because unfortunately, people's attention always gets distracted. Everything else in this world wants to distract the attention from focusing back on God. And so many things get our attention a lot more strongly than the things of God. Think about your own life. Think about the things in your life that get your attention all the time, all the time, daily. They don't even have to do anything. They just have to whisper and they get your attention. And sometimes God is screaming, yelling, and you're like you're not interested in what he has to say. And so God was continually to reveal himself to us so that we could know him, and in knowing him, we could know life. So Jesus said many things in his word. He's revealed many things in his word to us that we could understand the life that he wants us to live. And I want to read a passage in Luke chapter 12 that kind of sets the scene a little bit to what I want to share this morning around how much God wants to reassure us of his faithfulness to us so that we can find rest in him and get on with living life the way God wants us to live. Rather than being continually distracted with all the things that want to get out of our attention and that rob us from the ways that God designed for us to live. Because believe it or not, God has a way for you to live. God's designed for you to live in a way that he wants you to live. And that way will glorify him and that way will fulfill the life that he came to give you. Yet people are distracted with all, all these kinds of things that they think is going to give them more life. So in Luke chapter 12, Jesus addresses this issue. And I want to read a small passage here and then I want to look at some other scriptures in the Bible as well. Luke chapter 12 from verse 22. The Bible says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you're going to eat, nor about the body, what you're going to put on, because life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They don't have a storehouse or a barn, but God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Then Jesus went on to say, And which of you by worrying can even add one cubit to his stature or can add a minute to their life? 
If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil or spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Are you of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus is addressing an issue. He's addressing something that he knows is intrinsic to man, intrinsic to woman. He knows that there's something in us, humanly, that we have a tendency to do. And that is to try and take control of everything in our lives and make sure that we have everything in our lives in order, in control, so that everything's peaceful and happy and we kind of go on with life doing life as we think we should do it. He kind of knows that's kind of who we are as people. But what he knows comes with that is this anxiety or this worry that sometimes consumes a person. And he wants to put it into perspective because he wants people of the kingdom not to be like this. He wants kingdom people to live very differently. He wants kingdom people to look upwardly, not downwardly. He wants kingdom people to look into his faithfulness, not into their own abilities. He wants kingdom people to be able to trust completely and solely in what he's able to give them and not what they're trying to give themselves. Because it makes us panic, it makes us worry, it makes us sometimes get anxious about things that Jesus is saying, you know what, just settle down. I've got this. So if I ask you this morning to create a list for yourself of the things that you do worry about or you could worry about, if I asked you to make a list and starting to write things that you could worry about in life, how long would that list be? If I asked you to start writing a list for yourself, perhaps the things you could worry about around finances and, and work and, and education and, and, and parenting and relationships and friendships and houses and cars and holidays. And if I asked you to start to write or, or your general appearance, if I asked you to start to make a list for yourself around the things that you could potentially be worrying about or that in fact you might be worrying about, how long would that list be? I'm a to-do list person. Are you a to-do list person? I'm the sort of person who has to write a, a to-do list. I need, to, I need to know what I've got on for the day. I need to know what I'm going to be ticking off in, for that day. But that to-do list is as much sometimes a help as it is a problem for me because I look at it and I think, oh boy, am I going to be able to do all these things today? How long would that list be for you if you were to to somehow you were to start thinking to yourself the kind of things that you worry about or the kinds of things that perhaps you could worry about. Even while I was contemplating this message yesterday, I was contemplating this message and I was reflecting on the fact that God is asking me to rest and to trust and to worry less or to not worry. My wife says to me, I'll oh, come on and show you something in the house. Ooh, okay. So she comes and shows me the wall and we saw some kind of drip marks on the wall, you know. I've had a bit of rain and marks on the wall. I'm thinking to myself, what do I do? I'm, I'm actually, I'm in the middle of contemplating, don't worry. <laughs> what do I do? 
Maybe that was a good, maybe, maybe, maybe it was God's goodness for her to ask me then to come and have a look at the house, you know. So here I am thinking to myself, we'll work it out. Thinking in my head, God's got this. God's got this. And all these little things that pop up from day to day that can kind of get our attention can add to the list of worry, add to the list of worry, add to the list of worry. Because what it does, at the end of the day, God knows who we are as humans. What it's doing at the end of the day, it's getting our attention so our attention focuses away from the very thing that God wants us to do. Now, the spectrum of worry is very, very long. Okay, I don't want people to misunderstand me. It can be everything from I'm being running late to a meeting right through to I've just heard something very tragic. Okay? So the spectrum of worry is very, very long and very, very different. Okay? And I know there are some times in our lives on this end of the spectrum where, boy, you don't know how you're going to get through. You just go a day at a time. It feels like everything around you is crumbling. You don't know how you're going to get out of this situation. You don't know how you're going to find relief in this situation. And all you can do is pray Seek God, endure, and have people around you that love you and love God who are going to support you, cry with you, help you, and just be there for you. I know that feeling. But boy, I tell you what, a lot of the things we do worry about daily is all the other side of the spectrum stuff. The stuff that God is saying somehow, you know what, this isn't the kind of thing you need to be bothering yourself about because I have this. And Jesus somehow is specifically addressing an issue where people are worrying about the things in life that they think somehow is going to make their life longer and happier. And somehow he's addressing, he seems to be specifically addressing an issue that people seem to be worrying about things that they think is going to bring them somehow meaning to life. It's going to somehow boost their reputation. It's going to somehow make them feel better and happier and, and more prosperous in life. And therefore, they're going to have a better life because of it. And he's saying, you know what? You're looking at it all wrongly. The kingdom people don't look at life like that. And he's somehow addressing this thing that he's, he wants to draw out of their hearts. He wants to remind them of something that they really should be bringing their focus on and really understanding this is the thing that's, that far surpasses, that supersedes all these other things that you seek every day that you think is going to bring you happiness, that you think is going to make your life longer. He's kind of wanting to wash all that away and say, you know what, I've got something that will do this, that will guarantee you this, it's called the kingdom of God. And that, he says, is what I want you to seek. It's that I want you to hold on to. It's that that I want, you to, want, I want it to grip your heart. It's that, he says, I want it to be your treasure. Because all these other things, these things that daily get in the way of worry and panic and this and that, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to think this, all these things that consume your mind and worry you, he says, I've got this. And he addresses this in this passage and he wants to somehow hone in on the things that we as kingdom people should always be our focus I know, I know being a Christian for many years, that the call to follow Jesus is very costly. I know that. There are days you don't understand things. There are days where you think to yourself, all, all I'm holding on to is faith. 
I know the call to follow Jesus is very costly. But what I have learned over the years, brothers and sisters, the one thing I can be absolutely sure about is God always promises to be faithful. God always promises and is faithful. Listen to some of these scriptures. Psalm tells us, Your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Your mercy, wow, Lord, it is the heavens and your faithfulness to the clouds. That's Psalm 36. Listen to this one, Psalm 89. O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord? Your faithfulness also surrounds you. So it reaches the heavens, it reaches the clouds, and then it just surrounds you. It's, it's just who you are. God is faithful. It surrounds him. It's as far as the clouds. And then it says in Psalm 119, Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You established the earth. And it abides. I love this verse. Because he's saying, you know what? God's faithfulness doesn't run dry. It doesn't have an expiry date. Or God's going to be faithful until 2020. God's faithfulness lasts for all generations. He was faithful to Adam and Eve. He was faithful back in the days of Noah. He was faithful in the last few centuries. And he's faithful today. God's faithfulness for all generations. Because listen, he says, and I'll tell you how it's faithful. Just like the earth that God created still abides today just sustaining things and his faithfulness just continues to sustain things your faithfulness is to all generations so his faithfulness endures today god is a faithful god god's faithfulness does not change god is always faithful in temptations god is faithful in trials god is faithful in times that are going well god's faithfulness just reveals itself in different times because of different experiences that we have and his faithfulness is rooted deeply into his love. There is something about the love of God that is beyond our understanding. The Bible talks about it as the breadth and the depth and the height and the length. It's something about God's love that fills us more and more with his goodness, his, his kindness, his, his, his character. There's something about God's love. And so God's faithfulness is rooted deeply in this love. The Bible tells us in the Old Testament that God is so going as far as describing his love to us that he, does, he goes as far as inscribing our names on the palms of his hands, Isaiah 49. What a good God. That every time he looks at his hands, perhaps you could say the ones that were nailed to the cross, Every time he looks at his hands, he sees his people. Always thinking, always caring, always concerned, always helping. Everything he does, he's doing for his people. So God is a faithful God. He's continually reminding his people that his faithfulness endures forever. But one thing I've learned about God is not that I can trust only in what he says to me. Because I, I trust in what he says to me, but I need to first know him. Because finding peace and rest when anxiety and worry arise is not a strategy. 
You don't do it by a strategy alone. I don't say to you, these are the five ways to ease your anxiety. These are the five ways to ease your worry. It's not a strategy alone. What it is, it's knowing him and his faithfulness. And when he begins to share things with us, we, we, know, we know all that he says is good for us because we know he is good. We know him. So God is continually revealing himself to us because he wants to tell us more and more about him that we find rest more and more in our experiences. Go back, and before I have a quick look at this passage we read, just go back a little bit in the same chapter and look at verse 4. Luke chapter 12, verse 4. Just look a little bit of the background to what Jesus is saying here. We've read what he told us about worry, but he's also just told them this. He says to them in verse 4, And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I'll show you whom you should fear. Fear him after he has killed has the power to cast you into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. He's just giving a, a basically an, a, an idea that you know there's only so much man can do to you. There's only so much man is able to inflict you. So really, at the end of the day, the one you should be really concerned about is God. But then there's this little twist, because he wants them to understand this is my power. This is the power I have. This is my power to determine not just this life, but the life to come. That's the power I hold. And in, this, in the context of what he has just said, he, he kind of then creates this little twist in, in using this power to reassure us. And so he says in verse 6, And are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. And do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. And so he takes this knowledge of who he is and he wants to remind us that he's all-powerful and he's almighty and, he can't, and this world doesn't just dictate him, but he dictates this world and the world to come. And he says, you know what? Not even the sparrows who are worth hardly anything, like a few cents. You sell, a, you sell these sparrows for a few cents. And he says, you know what? Not even one is hurt without me knowing even the, 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 the little things of life that bother you. Not even one thing moves without me knowing. Even the very hair of your head, I'll go as far as to tell you that I've numbered every single one of them, only to remind us of how much he knows and how much he cares. And if one little, little simple thing like a hair falling off your head means he counts it one less. He wants to remind us that even these things do not go unnoticed. Because he's faithful. And he tells us all these things because he wants to draw our attention back to what really matters and that's the kingdom of God. Because all these other things that you think somehow will bring you longer life, happier life, meaning to life, he's saying, no, you need to stop thinking like that. Because these are the things that will get your attention and will draw you aside, draw you away. This is not kingdom people. 
This is not what, this is not what I need my, my people to do. I've got plenty of work for them to do. I will provide for them so they can go off and become my hands and feet to other people. So he reminds them of just how much he is in control of all these circumstances that not even a sparrow is injured or something happens to the sparrow without him knowing and not even a hair of your head is lost without him knowing. I don't know. Do you know anyone else like that? Do you know someone like that? Because if you do, tell me. I want to meet them. I want to meet someone like this. I want to meet someone who not only cares, but knows nothing, not even the smallest things goes unnoticed in his mind. Every time he looks at his hands, he sees the inscription of my name. How faithful is our God. So you begin to understand why Jesus is trying to say to them, do not worry. Do not worry. But perhaps in, perhaps in Jesus' style, he then allows us to see what it looks like when we don't do this. He allows us to understand something about human nature when we find ourselves thinking that all these other things are going to somehow bring us meaning, life and happiness. And he tells the story of the rich fool. Look at verse 16. And he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? Oh, there's an abundance here. Stock markets are great. And so he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and I will build greater and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I'm going to say to my soul, soul, You've got many good things laid up for yourselves for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. That's our world today. As long as you've got enough to store up, you can sit back, you can chill, and you can say, eat, drink, and be merry. Because that's what brings meaning, doesn't it? That's what brings life, isn't it? That's what's going to make you happy, isn't it? Because that's what people look for, aspire to, uh, plan for. Because these are the things that truly, deep down, are going to bring joy. I don't know, I've lived long enough to realise these things don't bring joy. I think I have some credibility. Because Jesus knew completely that it doesn't. So he says, what are you worrying about them for? Because as this man's building up his treasures, he says in verse 20, he says, But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So all these things are building up a kind of treasure that the earth looks upon, people of the earth look upon and think, Wow, look what he's driving. Look at the house they've got. Look where they've just been to in the world. Wow, look at her appearance, his appearance. Look what they're wearing. It's all, that's, that's life, isn't it? And all of a sudden we get consumed to these things and, and, and then we find ourselves miserable because we haven't got the same. And then we chase things like this and, we be, and life becomes this race for what I can have because it's going to bring meaning and it's going to bring happiness and maybe it's even going to allow me to live longer. 
Just saying, stop, you've got a work to do. It's called the kingdom of God. You've got a focus to have. It's called the kingdom of God. There's people out there who need to hear the good news and you are my hands and feet. I will provide for you so you go and do these things. Oh, a good God. That's a good God. That's a God who cares for the world and smashes the materialism so that we can focus on what really matters and that's those things that last for eternity. This is the kingdom, people. He's not rich toward God. He's only rich to himself. I don't see any here any discussion about mercy. That's rich towards God. I don't see any discussion here about um, faithfulness. I don't see any discussion here about humility, love, holiness, selflessness, forgiveness, faith. I don't see anything here about this man that describes these things because he's not rich toward God. He's only rich toward himself. But what really matters are those things that make us rich towards God. They're the things that really bring prosperity. They're the things that really bring happiness. They're the really things that really bring joy into our lives and into our community. These are the things. And then what we read, he describes why we can trust in him. He describes why we can put our confidence in him. He describes a bit more about life and its meaning. Because he is faithful. And I'm just going to give you a couple of examples in a moment. Because he is faithful. And what he does, he does faithfully. When my daughter was really little, I think I may have mentioned this story to you, may not. When my daughter was really little, we're at the beach. And she's playing on the sand. And I'm at enough of a distance away, yeah? I wasn't too far. I was, enough of a, I was, I was a safe distance away from my daughter at the beach. But for, some moment, for a moment, she couldn't see me. Maybe she was turned a different direction. And it, and it occurred to her that Dad's not here. And she began to cry. Really cry. Because all of a sudden, Dad's not here. Cry and cry and cry. Now I knew in my heart, I was just like a moment away. If there was any danger whatsoever, any risk whatsoever, any problem whatsoever, bang, I was there. But in her mind, I wasn't. In her mind, there was risk, there was danger. Now, was I unfaithful? Had I stopped being faithful? Had I stopped caring? Had I stopped knowing? Had I stopped loving? Was I unaware? Not at all. Beloved friends, brothers and sisters, God is faithful. And what he's trying to communicate to us is this. You've got to get your focus off the things of this world that will consume you, potentially destroy you, and will wrap your mind, uh, it, it, will, they will, it will wrap around your mind for you to even go crazy with worry. But to continue to focus on the things that really matter, and that is the kingdom of God. Because where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Because he wants to tell them, the reason you can trust me the reason you can trust me, you think about that list I asked you to think in your head before. The reason you can trust me once because he says, I, I'm going to describe to you what life is really about. I want you, out of all the people in the world, to understand what life is really about. And he says it in verse 22 and 23. And then he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you're going to eat, nor about the body, what you're going to put on. 
For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. And therein he tells us the mystery of life that people have been searching all their lives to work out. And he wants to tell us something very, very simple. Your life is far greater than food, and your life is far greater than, than clothing, your body. And we think to ourselves, well, that's, that's pretty straightforward. It's not. Because just reflect for a moment. Do you live your life like it's about food? And do you live your life like it's about the body? And Jesus wants to tell us something here. You know what? You need to, you need to understand something here. The kingdom of God, the kingdom people have a, have a work to do. And, and they can't be consumed by what they're always eating and how they're always looking. It, it, it's not the kingdom mind. Do you understand? And I imagine Jesus was the same thing. He lived life in a way where he did what he had to do for God's kingdom. And he's calling his people to do the same. He's calling his people to follow. It's got nothing to do with tragedy. It's got nothing to do with difficult circumstances. I'm talking about the daily things that consume us. He said, I want, to give, I want to give you a proper understanding of life. It's not about the body. It's not about the food. And then the other reason he tells us is because he's caring over the very years of your life. I'm sure, I'm sure it's a very common thought for people to think to themselves, uh, um, where is my life going and how long will I live for? He says in verse 25, And which of you, by worrying, can even add one cubit to his stature or even add one minute to their life? Verse 26. If then you are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? You know, it's very interesting here because Jesus is saying, you know what? For God, it's the least. Adding a minute to your life. It's like, well, minute to your life. That's the least for God. He's saying, if you can't do the least, why are you anxious about the rest of the things? So what God is wanting to reassure us is that he's, again, got this in his hands. He's He's watching over us and he's asking us to to find a place, a rest, where we know his faithfulness. He's defined life for us. He's defined the years of life for us. And then he also starts to talk about his provision. And that's why he says in verse 24, Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. And how much more value are you than the birds? I often have a kind of running joke with people, and I, I could be scientifically wrong. So I better put that disclaimer out. I have a running joke with people that how many birds have they seen die of hunger? I don't think there'd be too many. You see, God's saying he feeds them but we are more valuable than them. And he goes on to say in verse 27, Consider the lilies, how much they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If God then so clothes the grass which today is in the field and tomorrow is so into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? It's a real pointed reasoning. He says, you know what? Even the beautiful lilies that you see, you look at them, you adore them. If you love gardening like me, you look and you think, wow, they're beautiful. And yet Solomon, in all his wealth, he says, was not dressed like one of these. But he says, one of these tomorrow is burnt. 
Yet God takes the time to dress them, to clothe them, to care for them. And so he wants us to have faith because of his faithfulness, because of his care for his people, because of his um, concern for his kingdom. So that we can rest not in what we're able to do, but what he's able to do. And that's why he tells us in verse 15, I'll get you to jump back to verse 15. A very, very important message to the church. A very important message that allows us to get on living life the way he's designed us to live. He says in verse 15, Therefore take heed or be careful and be careful of covetousness or jealousy or envy of other people's things. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Isn't that beautiful? He's saying you're not defined by what you have. You can't be defined by what you own. You're not a better person because you have a better car than me. You're not a, a, a greater person of greater character because your house is nicer than me. You're not more valuable in life because you travel more. It's because one's life does not consist of the things or the abundance of the things he possesses. Because I tell you the truth, you don't need much to bless others. You don't need much at all to bless others. Because what is valuable is when you're rich toward God. That's what's valuable. And this isn't a message about being poor. I'm not telling you all to go be poor. What this is a message about is there is something greater in life that becomes your riches. So much so that those riches are the riches that bless you and other people. The Bible even says this about Jesus. Listen to this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor that through his poverty you might become rich. Did you get that? That he left his heavens, he left the glory, he left everything that he was and he became like a simple man. That through this simplicity, he might bless you and become rich, rich toward God. You don't need much to bless others. Even the Apostle Paul said the same thing. He talks about himself, he says, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing all things. Isn't that beautiful? Because again, what he's reinforcing is this is the kingdom life. This is the kingdom people. As poor, yet I make many people rich. All over the world, people are claiming how rich they are because they know life and they know eternal life. They know the source of life. They know the, the giver of life. They know the forgiveness of life. They know the mercy of life. They know what it means to live life. And he goes, I'm poor, but I make many rich. I have nothing, yet I feel like I possess everything. This is the heart of kingdom people. Brothers and sisters, Jesus said this. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When Jesus becomes your treasure, guess where your heart will be. When his word becomes your treasure, that's where your heart will be. When his kingdom becomes your daily treasure, that's where your heart will be. 
because your heart will follow your treasure. And God is asking the kingdom people to not be consumed with worry and anxiety around those things that daily come to seek your attention because these things don't bring the life he wants to give you. Sure, have things, but let your riches, let your riches be toward God. And be a kingdom people who seek first his kingdom and the value of his word that transforms other people's lives before anything else takes your heart. This is God's promise because he is faithful. He will give so that you can go out and do. Let me pray for us. Let me pray for us. Father, I want to thank you for this morning. I want to thank you for the worship time, the time we had to worship you. I want to thank you, Lord, for my, my brothers and sisters who faithfully serve you every day, every week. I want to thank you, Lord, for the people in this place who love you, Lord, who come this morning because they love you. And, and tomorrow, Lord God, they'll go out into their workplaces, into their homes, into their families, into their duties. And I pray, Lord God, that you would equip them to be people of the kingdom, seeking first your kingdom and with treasures that last forever. That in the daily grinds, the daily activities, Lord, that we have to do, I pray, Father in heaven, that we are reminded that there is greater riches in heaven. And we keep our perspective, Lord, our faith in a faithful God. Father, I pray you continue to carry us particularly those who are suffering at the moment, those who are struggling, those who are perhaps on the, the end of the spectrum that is extreme. I pray you carry them, Lord. Help them to see light. Help them to see hope. Help them to see that there is and going to be a way out. And Father, continue to encourage us that we are people always whether we are young, old, that we are people here on this earth to honour you and to glorify you. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand and close your